These days, a website is non-negotiable for organizations. It is truly like, (laughs) in case it's a surprise, we're living in a digital world. And so many things are happening digitally first. Even my grandparents' generation have started donating online. Like Things have shifted. And so today we are going to talk about your website because that is kind of like your business card and more online. You're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and we are bringing you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small organization. You are going to change the world. We're here to help. So websites. Today, my guest, David Pesaric, is from WOW Digital. He's the chief digital aficionado, also known as CEO and founder. And fun fact, David plays ping pong regularly with his eight-year-old. They challenge each other and the eight-year-old's getting good. So we'll see where that takes you. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Cindy. Yeah, it's kind of fun. He's been watching a lot of these like ping pong videos on YouTube of like all these like crazy things that people are doing. And it's, uh, yeah, he's totally thrilled. I love that. Mine are into soccer right now. And I've fully become a soccer mom. I think I have four days a week where I'm driving to soccer. So I never imagined that for myself, but I'm trying to embrace it. So there you go. We know with small nonprofits, websites are kind of like either great, they've used something, it's up to date, it's amazing, or it's like embarrassingly old. (laughs) We need to fix that. Let's start by just taking a pause and looking at the importance of websites. Like, what do we want a website to do for a small nonprofit? That is such a loaded question. What do we want it to do? Well, what we ultimately want it to do is to bring donations in or to get people coming and taking advantage or using your services or buying products if you offer products to your communities, volunteering, being members of your board getting information. There's a lot of purposes for a website. At the end of the day, in my opinion, your nonprofit's website should ultimately be about getting their contact information. You want to be able to market to them. You want to be able to email them. You want to be able to tell them, even if they made a donation, get their email. You want to explain what the impact is that their donations are having on the community, on the services, on the people, on your organization, whatever it is that you're doing. You don't always want to be out there going, hey, can you give us money? Can you give us money? Every email, give us money, give us money. You need to talk about it, build a compelling case for your nonprofit. I love that. Like getting basically your website is a way for people to enter into a relationship with you. And the best way to do that is if they can leave you their email address. Is that a fair summary of what you said? Yeah. Pretty and much. So let's talk about that because I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about and practicing different ways of doing digital marketing for my business. But a lot of people don't live and breathe this. And so I still see a lot of organizations where there's, oh, leave your... It's buried somewhere. Give us your email address. Or it's just saying that, like, sign up for our newsletter, which these days is not the most compelling thing for people as they're visiting your website. So let's talk about what we want on our website to entice people to actually leave their email address or share with us. 
Absolutely. So in the business world, we call something like that a lead magnet. So what is it that somebody is going to get by the currency of giving you their email address? So quite often, this is like an ebook or a checklist or something like that. If you were a nonprofit that's focused on dementia care, for example, maybe you have a 50-point checklist to make sure that your home or the home that your loved one is in can be safety-proofed, right? So maybe there's a checklist, a two-page checklist, and to get it, they need to give you their email address. Love it. So again, just to sort of recap, like we need to know who our audience is and why they might be engaging with us so that we can give them something of value in exchange for their email address. Pretty straightforward. And as you said, like a PDF, something like those are not hard to do. So obviously there's going to be a form on your website, like, you know, the the basic things, but what else needs to be on our website to support that goal? So now if we get the infrastructure there where we have the lead magnet, we have a way of collecting the email address, what other information does there need to be on our website or how are we talking to people through our website to bring them closer to wanting to give us that email address or engage with us more? So first and foremost, you need to think of your website as an employee of your organization, somebody that's there, marketing communications team member that's working for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365, or if it's a leap year, 366 days a year. They're there. They're always helping. It's not like you're printing a brochure or a booklet and you need an update. So then you've got to go and spend more money and like reproduce more, or mail them or whatever you got to do. So kind of think of it as an employee, somebody that's there yelling from the rooftops, hey, we're so awesome. This is what we do. Here's how we help. Here's the impact that we're creating. So speaking to that, you need to really make a clear case for support for your organization. Why should somebody care about you versus another organization that might be down the block, down the road, in the town beside you that's doing something very similar? What is it that is your impact? What is your why? What is it and how is it that you deliver your services, your products, your information that differentiates yourself? And how is it that you're helping? So we want to have pictures. We want to have videos. We want to have testimonials. We want to have content that supports those type of activities. Awesome. Before we move on, is there content that we shouldn't have or things that you've seen take up a lot of real estate that are actually not that important to have on your website? Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is a lot of talk about we. So we do this, we do that. Here's who we are. Yes, those are all important things. I think you can summarize that on a one-page about us kind of thing. You could talk about the board, the directors. Do you need bios of your entire board of directors? Probably not. Maybe a couple sentences on each one if there's some egos involved. And we all know like boards of directors, sometimes there's mm-hmm. some egos involved there. Absolutely. It's just, it is what it is. You Can, can I just by, yeah, sure. say who that serves the most? Is other nonprofits that are doing research on potential funders and like, I don't know, the, when I look at lists of board of directors, I'm looking at someone as a potential donor and I want to know what organization they're involved with. Anyways, I just think it's funny that that's typically, I feel like where most people actually look at that list, but anyways, continue. Imagine that you were 
going online and you wanted some support for somebody who was struggling with potentially, I don't know, let's say suicidal thoughts, right? What are you going to do? You're going to go online. You're going to go to Google. You're going to search for suicide prevention in whatever city or something like that, right? What do you expect to find when you land on that page? So think about your website from the outsider's perspective. They're coming through. They're coming to your site. What is it that they're going to need? What is it that they're going to want? Have some clear call to actions. So a call to action, a CTA, basically it's like a button and says like, click here. You don't want to say click here everywhere, right? But you want to say like support our cause if you're looking for donations or become a volunteer, subscribe to our email list, whatever those happen to be. People want to be prompted to do the next step, whatever that step happens to be. So it could be see our programs and services. Okay, cool. Yeah, I want to see the programs and services. How can you help me? How can you help my spouse, my child, my friend, my loved one, whatever? And you want to make it clear for them and easy for them. Yeah. Okay. So we have our call to action or that lead magnet, the thing, and that can be donating as well. We're that final step that we want someone to take on our website. And we've talked about the information that we need there that will guide them to that final step. I want to talk about how to get people onto your website, because I think that that is one of the most misunderstood things with organizations. They think if we just build a beautiful website, even if all the pieces are there that we've talked about, you know, the content is amazing and the donation is easy to use. And we have other clear calls to action or lead magnets. Even with all of that, They put it out there. It's like Fields of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. That is not true in this situation. So what do we need to do to make sure that we actually are driving people to our website so that it gets visitors? Awesome. I'm so glad that you are talking about this. So from my agency, from Wow Digital, we have a content accelerator workshop that we run with a number of our clients and and our prospects come in for that. Everybody's probably heard content is king. You've also probably heard it's not one and done, right? So you launch your website. It's not one and done. You're not done with it. You need to keep working on content. Content is what Google cares about. How do we get people coming into our site? We should be looking for organic search. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll basically give you the premise of what our content workshop is. You can go, you can run this on your own. We facilitate it. Uh, So if you need help with that, no problem, reach out. But here's the premise of it. You sit down for an hour. I've got uh, in front of me, I don't know if you're doing video with this or not, but I've got like a whole bunch of different post-it notes in front of me here. Those are really little post-it notes. These these are, these are. So these are (laughs) like, I don't know, one and a half by three inch or two by three. They are very cute. So just like the regular kind of typical post-it note size. Go out, buy two or three packs of that, get a bunch of people involved, have them sit down in a room for about an hour. Maybe you can do this in a half an hour. And you're going to do two-minute sprints. You're going to write down on a post-it note one to three or four words. That's a topic of some kind that is relevant to your organization. So somebody who, let's say, have uh, an admin person that answers the phones, that would be a phenomenal person to have at this because they're answering questions from people. Yeah, they're getting everything that people are wondering about that they could probably find on your website if it was there. Exactly. So here's the premise of this. You sit down, you write as many topics, one per post-it note. That's it. That's why you have like a whole bunch. It doesn't matter the colors or anything like you can sort them and organize them later. Makes absolutely no difference. Okay. 
Then you take like a two minute break, you stand up, walk around, you chat a little bit, you kind of go around, you ask people, all right, what are the ideas you came up with? All that. Fantastic. Then you go down, you write like two to five minute sprint. What are questions that people that use your services or connect with you would have? And you do that. And you go through this five, six, seven times over the course of an hour. Guess what you've just done? You've just built your content calendar for the entire year. So you take those post-it notes, you put them up on, I don't know if you've got video here, but on the wall right behind me here, I've got this board. (laughs) We don't use Uh, video, but I can tell you're describing it perfectly. So Awesome. So I've got this board behind me over here. The top, there's 12 squares on it. So one for every month. And at the bottom is the current month. So Mm -hmm. what you do is you go, okay, Alzheimer's Awareness Month is here. So anything that we have that's related to that, let's put that in this month. And you figure out and you plot out over the entire, you can use a Kanban board, you can use a Google calendar, it makes no difference, but you plan out and you go, okay, here is when I'm going to do all of this different type of content through the entire year. With the goal being that you're doing at least one piece of content a week on your website. That's what's going to make a difference. We've worked with some organizations, they were doing content once every two months by going to once a month. And then we'd ramp them up after four months of that to once a week. After a seven month period from start to finish, they've gotten 510 times unique organic traffic just by publishing on that kind of basis. Wow. Okay. Let's just talk about what content actually means. So we talked about what we, but like, you know, YouTube, blog posts, podcasts, there are so many different ways to take that information and share it with the world through our website. Talk to me about, are there ones that you find work better or not as good? What different formats uh, are, I don't want to say trendy right now, but what are you seeing work well? Excellent. So when you're thinking about content, what I'm talking about is short blog articles. So five, four, five, six hundred words. We're not talking about PhD dissertations or anything (laughs) like super crazy like that. We're talking about just like straight content, maybe an image or two to kind of support it, make it visual. Once you've got that, you can take that article that you published this week, and then you can make four or five social posts out of it. You can grab like a pull quote from here, 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 and you can get those published on your social channels. You can go through, you can read it. If you want to, creating a podcast is a lot of effort. Right, Cindy? It takes a lot of effort. But if you've got a lot of people that are interested in your cause, you could think about creating a podcast around your cause, interview other organizations, things like that. But video is where a lot of things are going to. People don't mm. really don't read. Um, it's kind of matter of fact, sad state of affairs, however you want to play it. It is what it is. So YouTube, Google is the number one search engine. YouTube, which is owned by Alphabet, which also owns Google, they are the number two search engine. So if you can create some video related to that, it can even be you just standing there reading what you've written. (laughs) (laughs) Put that into YouTube, get that into there, work on the description that you have in there, have a call to action in the description to drive traffic back to your website or to find out more information or to join a program or whatever it happens to be, or even donate, right? But yeah, so content could be split up amongst a whole bunch of stuff. And from that one blog article, four or 500 words, you can get easily three, four social posts and a video out of that. Awesome. So now we're driving people to the website because our search engines like us. And as people search, and I think we often like 
I mean, I want to talk about search for a bit. Um, but, but before I do, so they're searching for us and they're finding us because the search engines like when we constantly create content that use words that people are searching for. And we're repurposing that in our social media. And I'm going to add to that email because if you're collecting people's emails, you now have content that you can email them. You don't have to create something different. So now we're repurposing this and it's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about... This is a little bit of a side conversation, but I think a lot of people think, and this isn't but my experience, I'm curious how it's your experience. They think that people are searching for organizations to donate to. And so I see, like, I almost feel like understanding what they're searching for is also key to helping us create that content because full disclosure, like, I don't think people are spending their time looking like, what's an organization that <laughs> that I can support? Like, what's an Alzheimer's organization that I can donate to today? I think if you want to support an Alzheimer's organization, you're looking for a specific one that you already know or that you have some connection to. So tell me about like the, the audience that we're trying to engage through this content. Yeah. <sighs> Am I wrong? You can tell me I'm wrong too. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. I think you're you're actually really spot on with it. People, in my experience, are not going online and searching, what Alzheimer's organizations can I donate money to? No, they're not doing that. Most people donate to causes because they've been afflicted by something. Somebody that they know or love or cared for has been afflicted by like cancer or Alzheimer's or maybe hungry children. Like there's meals programs to serve breakfast to children. So they're already familiar with these organizations and they're going to donate to the organizations that they know of. So in terms of the content, what we're trying to do, so maybe I should have mentioned this earlier, but what we're trying to do is stay top of mind with people. We want to stay in their network. And I'm so glad that you mentioned email. That's a practice that we do every week. We have a blog and we have a podcast that we do from my agency and we send that out every week by email. The key is to publish content where your audience is hanging out. So you really need to have a clear idea about your demographic, your geographic, and your psychographic and get a really crystal clear plan on how you can communicate with them and where you should communicate with them, how frequently you should communicate with them, and what it is that's going to motivate them or drive them to take some kind of action. Once you've sorted that out, then you know, all right, here's what they're actually going to be doing. I love that. And I just think it's just the strategic part. And it goes back to that conversation of like strategically, when you're looking at your website, you want it to look nice, but that's not the most important thing. And you want it to feel reflective of your organization, but you want it to be relevant to your audience. And it has to have both sides or it's not an investment you should be making. I want to talk a little bit about other things we should think about um, as we are building or updating our websites. In particular, there's two that I know of that we haven't talked about yet. One is mobile first, and the other is just general accessibility. So pick what do you want to start with? Love it. Let's talk about mobile first. So if COVID has taught us anything, it's that people are not typically searching at their computer. They're sitting on their couch, they're out walking around with their dog, or they're just hanging out outside, just, I don't know, stargazing at night, whatever it happens to be. 
They've got their phones with them. Technology has penetrated our lives so much and gotten so inexpensive that almost everybody has a smartphone. So what are they doing? They're grabbing their phone and they're searching for something. And it might be like, oh, you know, like, what's the best way to care for my pet? Right? Or I just got a new Labrador. What's the best food for them? Or whatever. And there's going to be content that comes up. They're going to click on it with their hand. Right? What we want to do is we want to optimize our websites. You want to optimize your nonprofit's website to work on mobile. Period. Done. End of story. If there is anything on your website that you have to scroll sideways with your thumb, your site is broken. It needs to be fixed. Nobody is scrolling (laughs) sideways. We have opposable thumbs, but they're not meant to go sideways. They're like up and down when you're holding a device, right? Grab your phone, try to swipe sideways. Now, I mean, right. Usually if you swipe in sideways, you're holding it in one hand and using your index finger on the other, right? It's really hard to go sideways. So you want to Yeah, especially as phones get bigger and bigger too, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that is something that, and like test every page. Right. It's everything. As you said, if, if there's one thing where you, where it doesn't fit or you have to scroll side to side, it's broken. The whole thing's broken. Fix it. You got to get it fixed a hundred percent. And on top of that, you need to make sure that it still looks good. That it still Mm -hmm. has the same vibe, the same feel that your desktop site has. So doing that, uh, it's called responsive design. If you go to Google and search for responsive design, you'll find all kinds of articles. Awesome. Finally, accessibility. What is that? Let's talk about what that means and how we can make our sites accessible. Not everybody can see. Not everybody navigates the web with a mouse. There are technologies that exist for people who have visual impairments or maybe blind or physical impairments. They can't use a mouse. So there's all kinds of different. I even uh, met up with somebody who was using uh, a device that converted the copy on a website to Braille. So it was a digital book wow. that would like pop. It was really cool, kind of neat, uh, neat tech. But just understanding that not everybody's going to be looking at the site in the same kind of way. Bad pun, I guess, looking at the site. Uh, so what do we need to do? We need to make sure, for example, colors. I was just meeting with a prospective client earlier today. Their site had a lot of yellow and white. Okay. Ooh. So yeah, not great. They had black, but there was quite a lot of yellow and white. So what does that like mean? Like yellow means, on white and white on yellow? Yeah. yeah. Ouch. So here's the issue. Here's why Cindy's going ouch, mm-hmm. right? It's really hard to read. If you've ever looked at white on yellow, it's really hard to read. And that's part of the accessibility. I have perfect vision. I don't need glasses. I found I was struggling with it. You need to make sure that there's a certain amount of contrast between the text and the background, whether it's solid or please don't put text on top of images. It's super hard to read. So what does that mean? To meet accessibility, there are guidelines, the W3C, so the the Worldwide Web Consortium. They have guidelines around this type of stuff, and they're internationally recognized standards. To meet AA compliance, which is what everybody should be striving for. So WCAG, I think it's 2.2 now. It's either 2.1 or 2.2. Level AA, that's what you want to go for. To get that, you need to have four and a half to one color contrast ratio between the foreground and background. So we did a little experiment with them and went, okay, what does this yellow have to turn to for it to be accessible? And it turned into like this really gross, brown, muddy brown, yeah. <laughs> right? it's like way off brand from what they should be. So then conversation went, well, why aren't you using black on it? Black is like a nine to one ratio on yellow or something. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. So then we started having some conversations around that. So 
There are, if you go to Google and you search for color contrast check, you'll find there's a bunch of them out there. You can put in the hex values. So like the six digit codes for your color codes. And if you don't have your color codes, there are plugins you can get for Chrome or Firefox or whatever that will be like a color picker and it'll tell you what the color is. You can put those in, it'll tell you whether you're compliant or not. And then awesome. you can adjust it. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing, the biggest culprit, it, color. The second biggest culprit is images. We all have pictures on our websites. What happens when a screen reader, somebody who's, who's blind or visual impairment, when it gets to that image, what happens? That's untitled called? one, untitled two, untitled or three. DCS5843.jpg. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like somebody took yeah. a picture from their camera yeah, from their and phone. uploaded yep. it to the site. Yeah. And there it is, right? Not descriptive at all. Okay. So we can combat that. It's something called alt text, alternative text. And that's what would get read out uh, to the person using this type of assistive technology. The benefit of having good alt text on images is it also helps your site with search engine optimization getting found with Google. So if you have an image of somebody doing something and in some way you can put in, I don't know, six, five to six words, the shorter, the better for alt text. Yeah. That also includes something to do with your brand, with your organization, what you do, your cause, your impact, that's kind of like the golden sweet spot there. Okay. Because then you're leveraging hidden text on your page as alt text that is relevant to somebody who's using it, but Google will also pick that up as other keywords. Cool. I have to admit, I'm a little guilty. Sometimes I build pages on my site so quickly, I do not do the alt text. So that is my homework. I'm going to do that before this episode airs. <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's okay, right? Like websites yeah. are malleable. You can go yeah. in, you can fix them, you can update them. Exactly. That's all you got to do. You just have to spend a little bit of time. Exactly. Exactly. We've covered a lot uh, in a very short period of time. I love this. Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that you think is important as you as organizations start to address their website? At Wow Digital, we've conducted an audit of over 400 nonprofit and charity websites. So there's a, there's basically like five key learnings that are coming mm -hmm. out of this. Uh, so I would implore all of you to go and check your site for these five things. Okay. So the first one, does your website look like another website? Does it look like another Ooh. organization? Right. So Whoa. if you're helping, um, I don't know, feed the homeless, go to Google, search for programs to help feed the homeless. Look at the first, I don't know, 15, pay, 15 sites that come up. How closely does yours match that? Okay. So that's the first one. Second is how old does your website look? There were <laughs> so many of these sites. I cannot tell you that they looked like they were 15 or 20 years old, right? Is your organization still even in business? Why should I care about what you're doing or talking about? One of them, the worst thing that happened was uh, one of the sites that came up, it looked really old. And the first paragraph talked about uh, they started doing blah, blah, blah in 1973, yada, yada, whatever, whatever. So not only did it look old, but it's talking about a date that's like 45 years ago. Right. So, and I don't know if the, the younger generation realizes there were no, there, the web wasn't around then, but it, if your website looks like that, and if you're behaving in a way online that it feels like you're stuck in the seventies, you have a problem. Exactly. The third one is that. Landing on your page, I would say if you have analytics, take a look. 
but I would bet only about 40%, 30 to 40% of your traffic is actually going to your homepage. Google wants to get people into your content that's relevant to their search query, right? So maybe they're clicking on your homepage, but chances are they're going somewhere deep in your site. What you need to do is you need to make sure that you clarify your purpose and your need in every page of your site in some way, shape, or form. So if they're landing on a program page, what's the purpose of the program? Who would benefit from the program? When does it run? Who can apply? Are you looking for volunteers? Whatever that happens to be. So take a look at that. So that's the third one. The fourth one, we just spoke about accessibility. Your website's not accessible. (laughs) Fix it or get it fixed. There are plugins and modules you can get to put in your site. Those are kind of like band-aids. Those aren't real accessibility fixes. They quite often are actually really, really good. But I would say those are enhancements. What you want to do is fix accessibility on your site at the core of the site. And the fifth one, believe it or not, is no contact information, or it was super hard to find. Wow. So where should our contact information be? A lot of sites, it's kind of typical. You scroll to the bottom, you've got what's called a footer. You would have it there. Have a contact page. If you're on a program or service page, have whoever the contact is like right there. I would advise not to put email addresses on your website. It'll get picked up by spam bots, but you can have contact forms on there. Mm-hmm. That's okay. it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I have two questions. One is back in the day, everyone was talking about backlinks. Is that still a thing? And if so, what is it? Or should we just pretend it never existed? Backlinks. There's something called (laughs) domain authority. So DA is what everybody in in the industry calls it. The higher the DA, the higher the domain authority, the more importance that Google search algorithms put that into perspective when it's returning results from their like massive databases of results that they've got. So... What does it mean? Should you care about it? Yeah. Is it the end of the world? No. Google is really tight-lipped on what their algorithm <laughs> actually is or isn't. Lately, like the last four or five years, they've come out and said, all right, page speed, for example, not a ranking factor. So what? That was, I feel yeah, like that, that was an article something... that I read two weeks ago. Uh, I can send you the link, Cindy, if you want to like post it or whatever. Basically, like that's an archived ranking algorithm. What I feel it was, was they wanted people to have really good user experience. And if your site loads Mm. really fast, check your site also. Okay, so that could be maybe number six. Make sure your site loads fast, right? If your site is slow to load, people are just going to forget it and they're going to leave, right? So you want it to load quickly, but it's not part of the algorithm anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, If you can get articles published in like Huffington Post, for example, that will drive traffic back to your site. That's a good thing. Anytime you can do something that will drive traffic back to your site, thumbs up, good thing to do. Perfect. Um, As long as it's a lot, no. Yeah. And and it has to be authentic, right? Like, I feel like back in the day, people would be like, can we like share, cross promote, I'll link on your site, you link on my site, and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not helpful. But if it is meaningful, if it's a source where people are actually, using it to come to your website. It's it's not about the link being there, right? It's about people using the link. Exactly. You can have a link that's there and Google will find it. But if Google sees that there's no traffic flowing through it, then it's not going to help. It's not that helpful. Um, If you're putting on an event with a sister organization or, right, 
have a link to them. If you're going to have press releases and event signup forms, RSVPs, whatever, blah, 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 have links back and forth to each other, have that kind of articulated at the beginning that, yes, this is something we want to do and leverage that with another organization for sure. Cool. All right. My final question is because you have custom versus out of the box. So I remember back in the day creating webs, like having websites that were custom built and they were hosted by some like little mom and pop shop in the neighborhood. And I was like, all of this stuff, I was like, it was a black box. Like, what is going on now? I mean, personally, I can create a website in an hour, you know? So talk to me about what we should be thinking about in terms of what if we're creating a website from scratch, what do we want to be looking at? Do we want to hire a developer? Do we want to do something out of the box? Do we want a hybrid where we do have out of the box customized? I mean, I know there's no one size fits all answer, but guide us through some considerations. We have this conversation with prospects all the time, right? Like, So some of the things that you need to factor in is your time and budget. Those are really kind of the two biggest things. So yeah, you could go to Wix or you could go to Squarespace. You could get a site up and running. Like back in the day, there was GeoCities, right? Like there's platforms out there that you can go to and get a website up and running pretty quickly. Most nonprofit leaders don't have the time to deal with it. They have You have to learn a new web tool. You've got to make sure that you're putting time and effort into it, that it's updated, that it's responsive, that you're testing it, that you're working on accessibility, that you're adding enhancements to the site. Some of these pre-done platforms like Wix and Squarespace, they all have their time in place. I'm not going to bash them. There are limitations with them. You're stuck in their ecosystem. So there's only so much that you can do there. There is a point in time where you kind of outgrow that. Right. And that's where you're getting to the, the scale. You're having the big impact. It's usually somewhere around having an operating budget of about like four to five hundred thousand. Right. Somewhere around that point is when you're, you're probably going to be like, all right, we need more than what we can do with this. Hire a professional. It is worth. All right. So maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but it's worth their weight in gold because you're not going to be spending all of your time trying to figure stuff out. Right. You'd be like, all right, here news release, go post it for us, or you've been trained on it. So when we launch our websites, we we have two kinds of models that we work with at Wow Digital. One of them, which is most of the work that we do, is custom sites. And at the end of it, we train them. We train our clients on it. We record it with Zoom. They have a resource to go back to if they forget how to do something. They fully know how to go in and make any kind of updates they need. We're also there to support them in that type of thing. We also have a platform that we brought to market called Mighty NPO, which is you pick a template, you fill out a couple of forms, and we still do it all for you. So you don't have to learn another tool. And mm-hmm. it's it's about saving you time. We all know how busy nonprofit leaders are, yeah. and it's such a pain point for so many people. I worked in nonprofits for 16 years doing web and design and social and all of that. I totally understand the pressures yeah. that exist. Yeah. I love that. And just to one of your points earlier in our conversation, like, don't expect your website to last you five years, right? Like, it can't, you can set up the infrastructure that will last that long, but you are, you're, you will update your website. You're going to be posting on your blog every week. You're going to be doing these things. So don't go down a route 
where you don't have the capacity, either hired capacity or in-house capacity to make sure your website stays up to date because it will need changes. I think I change mine like every month. So make sure that that's part of the consideration as you look at your options. So awesome. Exactly. I mean, there's ecosystems like WordPress, which is one of the most popular platforms out there for websites. There are security risks. There are mm-hmm. you know, issues with that. You need to make sure that you've got somebody on your side that's managing it, making sure it's up to date, that there are backups and security patches being uh, happening and being applied to the site. So that it's not just, all right, you load a site and you're good to go. No, there's other things that need to be done outside of the content, even just on the tech backend. Like, do you have backups happening? What's the cadence of it? Have you tested the backups to make sure that it that it even works? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. David, where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about what you do? Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. So where can they connect? Wowdigital.com. That's our agency. We've got a link there. If you're interested in a free website audit, just go to wowdigital.com slash audit. And uh, you'll fill out a form. We'll take care of a free audit for you and let you know you know what you can work on or whatnot. We also have an option to book a free consult. Call to action button right there. Book a call uh, and get in touch with us. If you're interested in Mighty NPO, which is a completely done for you, low cost solution for getting your site online, Mighty NPO, so Mighty Nonprofit Organization. And we actually have a promotion running on there right now, 50% off for life. So if you're interested, head over there and set up an account. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. Thank you so much. I hope people coming out of this are going to take a look at their site. Those five things, I guess six, when we we include the other one there, go and take a look at it and think about it from your user's perspective, from the people that are coming to your site. Awesome. Thank you. And of course, to you, our listeners, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.